thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hello and once again, welcome to Mums the Word. You're listening to Kaz Jaff and thanks again for tuning in. We have a great episode coming up. It is uh, one that may not be relevant to everyone, but definitely one that you can all learn from. And uh, for the people that it is relevant for, I know you're going to be emailing me and messaging me and saying thank you. It's a maybe a not so much covered co- uh, to- covered topic. Emily M. Morgan is a single mother by choice of two gorgeous children, Ellie and Harry. After achieving her life's biggest ambition to become a mum, she discovered that single mothering by choice, even with a good income and friendship base, is not quite as easy as she had imagined. Emily quit her job, sold her house, and moved back across the country to her mother's house, where she has built up a happy, boisterous, multi-generational household full of love and chaos. Emily now works from home, providing support and information to parents and carers from her website, parentresourcecenter.com, and through her podcast for informed parents, Parents in the Know. I'm really excited to have you listen to this episode. We touch uh, a few personal things. You get to hear a little bit of... um, personal stuff from me that I don't always share and uh, well I'm just really looking forward to you um, uh, responding uh, with your comments and letting me know what you thought of it. Here we go. So welcome to the podcast Emily to this episode. I'm very excited to have you on and discuss this topic. Um, Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks Karen. Sure. Well I'm 36 years old. I've got two children. My daughter is almost four next month and my son is 18 months old and I'm a single parent by choice which means that I decided to have kids without having a partner to go with them. Um, Tell us more. I mean, you know, that's um, I respect that decision and I know dear friends have done the same. Um, please tell us about that journey. I mean, obviously it's not an easy decision to make. Maybe you could share with some of the listeners in the audience that might be considering it themselves or, or currently um, have made that choice and are about to birth. Just tell us a little bit um, more your story leading up to that and then um, and how it's going, of course. Yeah, sure. And it's actually getting more popular or more common as well, which is nice because when I, when I did it, which was I started thinking about it, I think, in 2009, um, there really was little or no support out there. I, the, the best I could find was a website for single mums by choice in the USA or something. But, yeah, no, I was um, bumbling along in my 20s having a good time and enjoying my career and, you know, climbing the ranks and all that sort of thing. But I always wanted to be a parent. That was just a given. I was never going to be a, not, a non-mother. <laughs> mother. I know some people sort of don't think that, but for me it was just that was a given. So. I just assumed that over time I'd find Mr. Right and off, and off we'd go and start having babies. But it just didn't happen that way. I've never been sort of much for long-term relationships and they haven't been much for me. So I came to year, you know, my 29th year and thought to myself, hang on a sec, I always wanted to have all my kids by the time I was 35. And that was a really angsty year for me. I was like, I'm turning 30 and I haven't done anything. And even though I've travelled and I've, you know, done all these things. And I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to be a mum and I better get started because I always wanted to have more than one child as well. So 
I knew that I only had a limited amount of time to get this done. So I thought, right, that's it. Let's start researching into becoming a mum on my own. And the first thing I looked at was adoption because I think that's something that everyone knows that you can adopt. And it was just so prohibitive. The, The cost was enormous. The timeframes were completely wrong for me. I always wanted to have a baby. I didn't want to have a three-year-old, you know, and that's what happens. Even if you're assigned a newborn, the chances of you actually getting to see that baby before it's two or three are quite low, and I've got friends who've gone through that. Um, So I thought, no, that's not going to happen. And besides, it's very biased against single people as well. It's it's, Especially in Australia, it's very difficult to, to, to be approved for uh, to be an adopted parent if, if you're single. So then I thought, okay, well, I better turn to IVF then because that's the word that everybody knows for assisted conception is IVF. But I'd always heard that it was really expensive and I thought, no, this isn't going to work either. But when I started researching IVF, I started to discover all the new terms and information about assisted conception that I'd never heard of. And one of the terms I discovered in passing was donor insemination. I thought, donor insemination, what does that mean? So I had a look. And it's basically what I ended up doing is you get a man, a very, very lovely, wonderful man who is happy to donate their sperm to a couple who who need it or to a single person. And that's all you require. So there's no harvesting of eggs. There's no petri dishes. uh, There's no rounds of hormone injections or anything like that so not only is it far less invasive but it's much much cheaper as well basically all you do is lie on a table (laughs) and as my friend very elegantly put it uh, discover the turkey baster from the wrong end (laughs) and that's really all and so uh, I went I found a, a clinic I was living in WA at the time and this clinic was very open about the fact that they were encouraging of single women some clinics said no we won't accept you if you're single Uh, so they were a bit biased in that respect this particular clinic wasn't and they and I I went in and I had to have a a medical check to make sure everything was optimal Uh, I had to have a counseling session which was really fascinating as well because as the counsellor said to me you know the things the things that your teenagers will yell at you, you have to be prepared for, such as, you know, you couldn't get a man or all this sort of thing. And I said to her, yeah, that's fine. I was a terrible teenager myself, so I'm fully expecting it no matter what their conception <laughs> situation. That's called karma. <laughs> so that was fine. And I only had one ovary as well because in my early 20s I'd had, a, had to have a tumour removed from an ovary and the, other, and had, the whole thing had had to come out. Wow. So... Um, <clears throat> I also had that in my head all the time was, you know, tick, tick, tick. I've only got half the eggs of everyone else. I better get on with it. So, but that, it turned out to be fine. They said, look, there's no, it's not necessarily going to affect your chances at all. But overall, you're healthy, you're in the right age bracket. Uh, there's no reason for you not to conceive, but conception chances for you are about 15%. And I said, whoa, okay. And each attempt would cost approximately $1,000 out of pocket. So, you know, I was looking at my savings going, okay, how many attempts can I try? And finally, when all the tests were done, I was put onto a waiting list because donor sperm isn't exactly um, thick on the ground. So I I was told, yeah, we'll we'll be in touch with you in three or four months. Well, seven months later, (laughs) when I was 30-something or just over 30, I finally got a phone call, which was very exciting, and they had three donors for me to choose from, which I had never expected because I assumed that 
the first one up would be the one I'd have to accept. Um, but as it's as it stood, there were three ready to go all at the same time. Because what happens with donor sperm is that the the, the man goes in and, and donates, and then they have to put it on uh, on ice, I guess, for six months while they do test after test to make sure that they haven't missed anything. So uh, it took a while for it all to to, to be um, a grade uh, and clean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, I had three to choose from and I had uh, three A4 sheets of paper to look at and my whole family got round and started, you know, reading it all and all my friends were looking at it as well because I'm a very open person and I just share every single thing about my life, probably TMI. Oh, well, thanks for sharing on the podcast. I mean, you know, this is this is what I mean. I've got something to share after this as well, but um, on the same topic. But uh, yeah, so you had three three A four sheets of paper. Three A four sheets. Yeah, no, uh, no names. Sorry, age, uh, weight, height, ethnicity, colouring, hair and eye colour, skin colour, uh, a sentence on their medical history, um, information on their profession and education, and a sentence on why they wanted to donate and that was what put me off actually two of the three of them uh, they were both Caucasian like me they had blonde hair uh, sorry red hair blue eyes they were from an, an Irish Welsh background pretty much exactly like me but uh, their medical history was was poor on both sides one of them had anxiety and the other one had asthma and anxiety and we have both of those in my side of the family already and I thought oof, don't want to give them a double whammy and and then their reasons for donating sort of put me off a bit as well. Like one of them was saying something like, so I can pass on my DNA, which is which is really quite an, an innocent thing to say, but just the way it was worded just really put me off and I thought, whoa, he's a bit of an egomaniac, which yeah. is a horrible thing to say really. But anyway, the third one was Indian and nothing like me or my background and his medical history was excellent and he had a wife and one child already, and he said, so I can help other people have a family. And I thought, this is the guy for me, right. <laughs> especially if I don't have to live with him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was the one I went with. And amazingly enough, I conceived my daughter on the very first try, which left everybody with their mouths hanging open. They couldn't believe it. Great. So they must be stunning with the the Indian and the. Well, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. God, gorgeous. Yeah, I think they're gorgeous. They're they're lovely. They've just got the olive skin and the dark eyes, and yeah, they're going to break some hearts. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, I I know I realise that people will sort of equate. Um, what you said as well, that you want to have a baby on your own, that they suddenly think it's a fertility issue. And that's where we, I guess we have to dispel the myth here that there are lots of ways um, to conceive a baby. So you mentioned already the um, the insemination. And there's also um, intrauterine insemination as well, which is probably a little bit more on the medical side where people can have an ultrasound to see when um, the follicles are ready and can time things. So you're very lucky. Um, but you didn't well, have a fertility issue. You'd never even tried. So... Um, that's right. That's you know, right. Makes sense that you would uh, try uh, in the least invasive and um, yeah, least expensive way as well. Absolutely. Although I did have to have you know the daily blood tests to check the that my hormone levels were right and there was an egg about to pop. Um, I did have to have an ultrasound to check the follicles, but I did have to have that daily blood test. And when the the hormone levels were right, that's when I went in to have the procedure done. Oh, great! Great. 
Yeah. yeah. So what I wanted to share is that my children are both born also from donor sperm. So, oh, wow. um, yeah. So listening to your story is I had, I don't know anything about um, the donor for my kids. Oh, wow. Nothing. So you had no choice. It was just come in. Uh, it's, um, it's through the hospital in Holland and they, they, you basically say, I want a child. Well, I said, I want a child to look like it's from us. And that was my, my choice. We gave our height and our, and our, and our weight and two photos. And, um, that was it. And they choose a, a donor on that. And, you know, it's probably the same um, in terms of the laws that your children can find out um, some things when they're 16 and some things when they're 18 about the donor. Is that correct? It's not exactly correct. It is actually different from state to state in Australia, which was interesting. And in WA at the time when this happened, uh, there, there was a, there's a voluntary donor registry that you can put yourself on. So I can put myself on. The kids can put themselves on when they're 16 or I can put them on on their behalf before that and the father can put himself on as well. And you can put as much or as little information as you choose. Other siblings could also do that. But it's 100% voluntary. So if their father never puts his information on that register, the chances of them finding anything out about him are slim to none. Okay, okay. So in Holland, they're, they're, because it's done through the hospital and that's the law that the kids do have access to find out if they so choose, mm. uh, 16 would be hair colour and all the things you already know. Yep. Um, and then and they would get a name when they're 18 if they so choose. But I, at this, yeah, point, I, at this point, know nothing except that I'm pretty sure it's a tall, blonde, um, fair uh, Dutch man at this point in time, seeing as I have a white blonde child and I'm very dark myself. Oh, so. wow. Well, yeah. look, I think it's that's really important. I mean, I'd, I'd love for my kids to have the chance to get to know something because for me family is so important and, and I do, you know, we've all studied, looked at our family history and I try and, you know, I'm trying to build that side of my kids' family because yeah. they may never get the other side. But, yeah, in Australia I think the laws are still trying to catch up with the realities yeah, for me it was like if that's the law, to be honest, I'm really happy. That means they have a choice. If they want to do it, they can, and if they don't want to, that's also fine. There's no one reaching out to them. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I would always educate them that maybe there's another, you know, 100 kids in the world that um, were calling up that man at, at the point in time or, I mean, I don't even know when the sperm was donated. So it could be, you know, quite a long time ago. They might have passed away by the time the kids are older or they, you know, they might have their own family and not be into Who knows? But at least, yeah. at least it's their choice and um, we'll see. But um, it's very it's very interesting to hear the difference in in how things are done. I mean, I to have my second child, I didn't even pay for the sperm. I mean, it's amazing the system in Holland, and it's very well supported if you wanted to have a baby on your own and for a lot longer than obviously what it has been in Australia. So you were going a lot more against the grain, shall we say, um, back in two thousand and nine. Yeah, I didn't know anybody at the time. It didn't actually happen until 2011. That was when I first started thinking about it. But I didn't know anybody and certainly couldn't find any Australian resources on it. Um, it's just interesting, I mean, for your listeners that might as well be interested, um, what you said there about there might be a 100 other siblings of your kids out in the world. But in Australia, that's a little bit more regulated. In WA, uh, sperm can only be used for up to six families, including the man's own family. So it's a little bit less likely that you'll encounter your sibling without knowing it in the future. It's just good. Well, that's, that's good to know as well. Yeah. 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 And also great that, um, you know, the States and things are getting more accepted as well. I mean, one of my dear friends has, has a baby on her own as well. And I mean, I don't think these days, I mean, we're only talking what your daughter or son was is four yeah my daughter's turning four yeah so in already in that short space of time how much it's just becoming a little bit more the norm which is why we're doing this episode yeah it is it's fascinating it's it is and even since having ellie that's my daughter and 
before I became pregnant with my son, I, I you know, I, I already began to start discovering a little bit more and seeing. I'd, I'd just dis, I'd encounter interviews with people on on our, you know on podca- uh, on websites and things like that, mostly American. But you know, it just started coming out more and more. And there was there was a few SBS and ABC shows and things about it too, which yeah. was really interesting. Well, yeah. it's just nice for them as well, isn't it? That they're you know not not so. Um, there's some there's other kids around that you can um, that you can find that are in the same boat as them, and that's always important. Yeah, their normal is getting a bit more normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's super normal, but um, yeah, it's not. Let's say not common, shall we say? Um, and uh, and what about some of the resistance that you might have had around you at the time from like family and or just work colleagues or how how did you manage that? Well, I'm a very self-confident person, generally speaking, or at least I certainly put out an air of it, I seem to, I find. Uh, as a result, I very rarely get judgment to my face. I don't know if it's discussed behind my back, but generally speaking, I tend to get a lot of support. And I think that, in you know, in my experience, I think that your attitude goes a long way to the acceptance of your lifestyle. I've certainly heard a lot of parents say, that they, for example, with breastfeeding and things, you know, that they've been, they felt judged by various people by their, because of their choices. And I've almost never experienced that myself, even though that I've had similar issues to these, to these other women. And I think it might be a matter of me being so clear, this is, this is it. I'm not even giving them the chance to, you know, to, to, to judge because I'm making it clear that this is what's happening. Perhaps that's just my luck. It, it could be. But anyway, the only person who ever uh, judged, I suppose, or made an assumption about my daughter was somebody I had never previously met. I met them at a wedding. They were religious, which was just another piece of icing on the cake for me. I thought that, you know, the, the people who were supposed to be nicest tend not to be. And she said, oh, how unnatural, strange. We're having so many unnatural children these days. And just the way she said it, I actually oh, laughed. It makes my skin crawl. I know. Well, I laughed and I moved on because I was almost expecting it. You know, as soon as she said that she was very religious and she basically spent the whole wedding trying to convert me, um, I, I was thinking, oh, if I'm going to get judgment, it's going to come from her. That might say more about my, my attitudes. I don't know. But, but I just thought to myself, wow, I feel so sorry for you that you can look at a dear little girl and and all you can see is unnatural. What's wrong with you know? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I mean, we should really, as a, as a society, be much preferring the mother that chooses to go out there and actively say, "I'm going to be a parent." Um, you know, there's plenty of single mums out there that either their partner leaves them in the pregnancy, or um, for whatever reason, it's an unwanted pregnancy. Um, you know, and you know they decide to keep it, but there's a feeling of, you know, I guess that they didn't want the child um, or, you know, there's a lot of things in a situation where a couple might break up and you end up in a situation where there's a lot of tension. You know, I think we should be supporting um, the mother that wants to be, you know, fully involved. Even when you said that you had a counselling session, I remember that too and I thought, oh, wow, I'm getting grilled <laughs> on my choice to be a mum when I could have just had a one-night stand when I was however yeah. old and, you know, yeah. suddenly be pregnant and that person, you know, all have different multiple parents, not judging at all. But, mm. you know, it was just like, okay, like I understand why they do this, but it was like, wow, I'm really getting grilled on my choice to be a mum, you know. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I think it's really sad that 
there are so many children out there who, for one reason or another, have very difficult lives. You know, and then you've got you've got you know gay couples who who really want to have kids or single mums and single dads, and it's even harder for a single dad who wants to be a parent. You know, and I just I just think it's it's just very sad that uh, you know people who are loving and 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 good parent material <laughs> can't go ahead and be parents, especially to you know when there are so many kids out there who don't have those in their lives. Anyway. So, so how did you navigate? I mean, even the birth itself. I mean, did you have a doula or a mum or best friend there with you? I mean, obviously, it's a lot to be going through on your own and not be sharing. I think it was nice to, you know, read the what you know, have a feel and feel my belly. And you know, what was your experience <laughs> of that on your own? Sure. Well, that was that was very interesting. Uh, I had never even heard of doulas until after I had my my daughter, actually. But uh, I was I was living in WA. I had a brother and a sister in the state, although um, the brother he was a FIFO worker, so he we didn't see him much. But that was all. The rest of my family was back in Tasmania. So when when the time came, my sister was my birthing partner, if you like, Great. which was very lovely of her, considering she doesn't like kids, doesn't want kids. <laughs> and <laughs> after the after the birth, she said to me, "Don't ever <laughs> let me have a child. I never want to go through that." <laughs> um, so that was yeah. She she was really she was really good. She did her very best, considering her attitudes to things, and she was very very supportive of me. And did her best, but other than that, I really didn't have any support. But what I did have was good private health insurance and a lovely stay at a private hospital, which gave me several days at the hospital being looked after before I had to go home and start dealing with things. And because of my work, I also had nine months on half pay, so I was quite financially secure for a nice long time so I could get to know my baby and get to know me myself as a mother without the financial stress of having to go straight back to work. Thank goodness because that's quite um, that's a huge thing for a single parent as every single parent out there knows trying to be a, a good parent and also have the, the bread on the table is a very difficult juggling act. Yeah, you, you're it. So, um, you know, you're doing all the putting down to sleep, you're doing all the dinner, the washing up, the you know, everything, the school runs and all of that jazz. So are the kids from the same um, same donor? They are. In fact, the clinic uh, encouraged that because, as, as I said before, you can only have so many uh, families helped by the one donor. So if you wanted siblings, they would hold some sperm back for you. And that's what they did for my little boy, Harry. I was not quite as lucky with his conception um, because uh, I, I couldn't conceive on the first try. On the second try, we actually tried some hormone injections, which which went so far in the right direction that we had to to give up on that attempt. Basically what happens was what happened was I got so many follicles that they didn't want to inseminate because the chance of a, of a serious multiple birth was so high. And that that really devastated me because I could see almost I could see those eggs all, all as little potential babies and it was they're all being wasted. It was just a really emotional time. But um but number three worked and then I, I was pregnant with him. But that was that not not that I regret having him at all, and I would do it all again in a flash. But that was an extremely difficult period of my life uh, because I was having some financial stress and I was having work stress, and and I ended up getting perinatal depression during that second pregnancy. 
I mean, you, heard, you already had a little one and you obviously there's a bit of fatigue involved and a bit of oh, yeah. depletion <laughs> involved. And, I mean, I think really out of the stats of the four tries, two children out of four tries is pretty amazing stats. Oh, it still was, yeah. I, I can't, still can't believe my luck. It was obviously meant to be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, very, very, very difficult pregnancy. They both were. I thought that the fir- after the first one, the next one had to get, had to be better because I had morning sickness from week four to the day I gave birth. I vomited the morning I gave birth, I keep telling people. It was awful. And I thought the second pregnancy must be better, but in fact it was worse. I got the morning sickness and the depression in the second one, Um, but never mind. But in fact it it turned out to be a good thing because as a result of that depression I changed my entire life, left my job, sold my house, moved back across the country to Tasmania, back to my mum and my extended family, and it's has been the most wonderful thing I could possibly have done. I'm so happy that that, that, that happened to me. <laughs> so nice that you see the um, you see the reason now. Mm. We never we never see it at the time, but to see that silver lining and it's great. Your mum must be in heaven. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Bless her so much. She's the most wonderful, amazing person in the world. And but this, she's made a lot of sacrifices for us. You know, she works full time as an early childhood teacher, so she's with kids all day long, and then comes home to two small kids at home and the mess that comes with them. Although I do my best, but as well as that, and one thing I never considered when I did move back here, she has had to sacrifice the that special relationship that a grandmother has with her grandkids when you can take the grandkids to the grandma's house and she can spoil them rotten and and then she can give them back do you know what i mean and that's mm-hmm. i think that yeah. that's a, a relationship that people that that, well, that i certainly just took for granted and and mum doesn't have that with her grandkids because she's basically helping to raise them so she can't you know spoil them she's got to she's got to support my discipline of them and it's meant that her sister, their great aunt, has taken on that role, which is wonderful for her because she has no kids of her own. But it, I know it has been very difficult for mum to a, adapt to that. And I never considered it, so that was very selfish of me. But she, she's wonderful. I couldn't, I couldn't talk her up enough. I'm mum, sure, I'm sure there are lots of upsides for her that maybe you know she would share if we had her on the podcast. But I'm sure she's able to sneak them a little bicky or something. <laughs> That you wouldn't necessarily be approving of or <laughs> take them out for ice cream and do all those little things that, you know, oh, yeah. that she she's, can still do. Yeah, she's wonderful. And they do. They have such a lovely relationship. So it's so wonderful to see that. And I'm sure it keeps her young, even though she's doing it of the day as well. She must be pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does get tired. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I work from home, so it's it's easier for me in some respects. I can just hang out in my pyjamas all day if I need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, have you sort of found now, I guess a few years on, other mums, you know, around you and support groups or, I mean, how's is it, you know, easier these days if the mums are considering doing that or what would be some of your, what would be some of your advice? Well, that's really interesting because I still haven't, I've, I've, I've just recently heard of one other Australian single mother by choice and that's the first one that I've actually discovered or at least had a contact with. There's one or two people I've read about. Uh, but because I am involved in the in, in a global online community with my work, and, and obviously social media helps with that as well, I have discovered a few single parent by choice, sole parent by choice um, groups and people in, in other countries, which is actually I've, I've been able to develop a bit of a, a community that, that spans multiple borders, which has been good. But regarding advice, I, I would 
highly recommend uh, getting on get, getting on board with some of those global communities because really in Australia there, there's almost nothing available. There is one group that I belong to, which is a, a private Facebook group that you can request to join it. It's a single parent by choice. I think it's called a Donor Mums group on Facebook, and it's run by Lift E-Magazine's Naomi Gora. So if you look up liftmagazine.com.au, you can get in touch and ask to be joined to that group, and that's just for donor mums. So that's the, the one Australian group that I know of. Um, but the other thing I would say is our, our situations are identical to single parents with the exception of we don't have that, that problem with ex-partners and all the legal and emotional baggage that, that comes with that. So, you know, you, you can look past those discussions and you can focus on the lifestyle discussions on how to bring up your kids and how to you know, get to the school events and how to earn your money at the same time. And there's a lot of really good information in the single parent forums and things as well. So don't assume that just because you don't have that separated, divorced baggage that you can't join those groups and be accepted because you certainly can. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just we're just going to say solo parenting, whether whether it was by choice or not. It's exactly. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's the same daily, um, yeah, struggles or or. Yeah, challenges. For sure. Um, so, so because I really love um, this whole podcast to be helping people, you know, not reinvent the wheel. Um, what would have been a struggle along the journey then, and what did you do to get out of it? Obviously, you know, maybe not being near family and moving close to your mum, there must have been something that brought, you know, came up there. But maybe you could share with the listeners as well, just so that we can, I guess, leverage off your learning. Yeah, of course. I found myself after I had my daughter desperate not to go back to work because I loved being a mum and it was it was my joy to just be at home cooking and being with her and going out with her I loved it and the thought of going back to work and giving her to somebody else to raise for a significant period of each week just made me feel almost sick I I couldn't bear the thought of course I had to do it I did end up going back to work but I went into work before my return date armed with with determination and I talked them into giving me three days work from home and two days at the office which was brilliant Um, but there's always a downside and the downside was I couldn't uh, do the work for them that previously I could have done my mind was always on something else or I should say my priorities had completely shifted so whereas before I was a career woman and I put you know all my energy into that now I was a mother first and career came a very, very distant second. And I just wasn't as interested in somebody else's company and making somebody else money as I was before. So almost after, as soon as I gave birth, I started looking for ways to work for myself and because I wanted to control my own time and my own money and, and be there for my child as much as I possibly could. And that's been very, very difficult. I haven't had a, as much success as I would have liked and this, I've started things and stopped things and started other things and I'm on a, a good track now, but it was a very difficult journey. And and that was all part of the financial stress that and, and the job stress that, that sort of stuffed me up, I guess, when I, when I got pregnant for the second time. So, um, yeah, the, the difficulties for me w- was the fact that I really liked having lots of money, <laughs> but I liked being a mother more, and I had to find a way to to deal with the new reality because I, I found that once I became a mother, 
you know, I thought that I'd know what I'd do. You know, I'd keep working. I think my daughter would be in a really good childcare. You know, we'd enjoy the time we had together. We'd travel a lot. She'd go to a private school because I had all this money. But I found that once I became a mum, the money was was nothing compared to the time I had with her. And so I had to completely change my perspective on what made me happy. And I had not anticipated that. I hadn't planned for it. And it was a real eye-opener to realise that, that, you know, the, the dreams in the future that I had planned for our family weren't going to work and I didn't want them to work. So if, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a, yeah, resetting the compass in a way. I mean, it's a... Yeah, I don't think it's something you can prepare for. I think you've just got to, you've got to accept the reality as you find it. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with that. There's just an acceptance that you have the, the... Yeah, the end destination may not be the road that you were going to take originally, but you have to take another path. Yeah. 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 And and what about uh, an affirmation or a quote that you, I guess, you know, um, rely on or, or use just to sort of daily life or, or where you've come from and how do you apply it um, in your life? For sure. Well, I can't remember exactly where it came from now, but very recently I was reading something or listening to something and I made a conscious decision that from now on I'm going to enjoy myself. So my affirmation, if you like, or the question I ask myself every day is, are you having fun? Because life is too short to be working at something that's not making you happy or to be prioritizing things that don't make you happy. So no matter what it is I do, or what direction I go, I always ask myself, are you having fun? And if not, it's time to, to reprioritize. I love that. And, um, of course, <laughs> as mums, you know, we really don't have that much excess time. So we're not, you know, life is short as well. And uh, Yeah. No, great, great, um, great advice. And, and so we sort of touched on a little bit. Um, but what would you tell yourself going back now um, if you were considering what you were doing and maybe when you came against that woman that um, you met at the wedding or what would you tell you that younger self that you'd want to share with mums, um, possibly mums navigating um, solo parenting? I would say that you have to have rock solid confidence in yourself before you can expect anybody else to have it. And I'm very lucky because my family builds me up and supports me and and that's a wonderful thing that not everybody has. But but if you're going to go down a a path that that is such so high in responsibility, you know, both for yourself and for your your child that you're planning to have, then you've got to be 100% confident that you can do it. Even if you don't know exactly how you're going to do it, you will find a way to do it. You've got to tell yourself that. You've got to be sure of it so that other people can't get under your skin and make you doubt yourself. That's, I love, that's love that it. amazing, amazing. Yeah, that we can use that in so many in so many ways. And what yeah. was the best advice that you ever received, Emily? Well, it was from a friend actually. I consulted her. She's from Fiji, and her partner is Vietnamese, so their children are mixed race, as mine were going to be when I was trying to decide which donor to go with. And I said to her, "Look, your kids seem happy. You know, are they okay? Have they had any problems?" She said, "If you bring your kids up." to know who they are and be happy with with who they are, then everyone they meet will be the same. And I thought, that's brilliant. I can do that. It doesn't matter what my kids start out as. I can teach them those skills and then they'll be good to go. So, yeah, I I guess bring up your kids to 
know and love themselves. I suppose everybody says that. <laughs> but it's so true. It's so important. Well, your kids aren't any different than other kids, you know. And That's right. Um, I, think, I think you're right. It's, uh, it's our mindset that we're imprinting on them. And I, I think this word normal is a dangerous word mm-hmm. um, because, you know, even I see at my daughter's school there are some adopted children, uh, children that have, no, you know, no parent um, and they're, you know, other parents pass on, they're with grandparents or, you know, what we said, split up families, single children that don't have siblings when you do the where's, what about your family photos and you've only got one and, you know, it's just them and everyone's got something different and unique and, yeah. and that's all normal and um, yeah. I think the word normal can be very dangerous. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's some invaluable resources you touched on a few with the Facebook group and the single parent forums, but what are maybe some websites um, that you could uh, share with listeners? You, you did mention a few that you knew of, but maybe if I could just get the more specifics to share. Um, sure, although not so much on single parenting, if that's okay. That's I was, fine. I was, yeah, I was thinking about your question and the, the, the resources that have helped me the most. That's what we want. Yeah, well, well I don't know if you've heard of Maggie Dent but she's a writer and a speaker. Her books are amazing. They are all about how to teach calmness and positivity to your kids in such simple, easy-to-understand language. So her, her books are really eye-opening for me. I, I love them. And Steve Bidolf, who you might have heard of as well, he's written some amazing books. Two of them are called Raising Girls and Raising Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just brilliant books and, again, full of really good just practical, simple advice that you can follow. So I've, I've really enjoyed those. Um, one more book, Mem Fox wrote a book called Reading Magic and you might know Mem Fox's picture books. She yeah, writes yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue and all those. But she wrote a book called Reading Magic, which is how to help your children love books, which teaches them how to read through the sheer love of books and that's wonderful as well. So I'm very, I'm very big on literacy and learning to love reading, so that's, that's big for me. And I suppose I should mention, Karen, if you'll let me, my own website. Absolutely. Which called, thank you. We're going to get there, but go for it. Go for it now. Yeah. It's called the Parent Resource Centre and it's www.parentresourcecentre.com. And I and say that it's fabulous. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. And I curate articles from experts and professionals around the world and stories from parents around the world as well so that it's a place you can go to get answers and to discover some experiences that might help you with your own journey. So I'd love you to come and visit. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've already checked it out. So it is great. Awesome. I highly recommend. And, and the podcast, maybe we could just go through all how people can find out more about you and what you do. Sure, absolutely. Well, I also run a podcast. It's called Parents in the Know. And we have information episodes. We've talked about all sorts of different things that parents are always asking about. And we also had inf- um, interviews with professionals that can help parents, coaches and speech therapists and all sorts of interesting professionals there. And we will be interviewing parents shortly as well. So that's great. It's called Parents in the Know. You can find it at parentsinthenow.com.au. Um, we've got a Facebook page. It's called The Parent Resource Centre. And we've got a Facebook group as well, which is a supportive and respectful group for all kinds of parents who want to be informed. And that's also called Parents in the Know. So I'd love you to catch up with me in any of those spots and we can chat more. And maybe an email address that you'd want to share on one of those websites? Or- yeah, happy to share. We've got one called info 
at parentresourcecenter.com. And if you're a single mother by choice or someone who's thinking about it, I would love to hear from you. We should maybe start our own support group. Yeah, I, was just yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, one of my dearest friends, I mean, you, you said you only know one other person and I, I know someone who's trying and I know another one that, that has a one-year-old. And awesome. um, I definitely know a lot in Holland, in Amsterdam. That's really, it's quite... Um, accepted and I won't say normal it's common (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah so you know that's um you know we did this together because we wanted this is the way that times are heading and um you know we have sort of been told we can go out and get our career we can have it all yeah and um this does make it possible so I'm I'm so grateful for you sharing some yeah maybe more private personal uh, things than some of our um other guests and it's just that's the the nature of this topic I guess yeah no you've got to know what you're getting in for otherwise what's the point (laughs) no I agree I agree and um you know very easy to listen to you and love your energy and thank you so much for giving back oh my pleasure thank you so much for having me it's lovely to be able to share on this topic brilliant brilliant thanks Emily thank you thank you for joining us on this episode of mums the word please remember to subscribe rate and review us on itunes and join us on our facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.